Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into Taoist texts to explore their timeless wisdom and discuss how we might apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year, Ian. Well, we're in uh, 2023 now. Yeah, it's it's official. It's it's on the calendar, and it's it, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around it. I I know we we weren't planning on recording today, and then we just saw, hey, we happen to be meeting for one of our planning sessions. What if we just do? follow Dow and do a spontaneous recording and maybe just do a little bit of reflection without any sort of preparation and planning and share that with our listeners. It would be fun. Yeah, let's be uh, spontaneous. Taoism is all about spontaneity. And so to that point, you know, how, how did you see Dow showing up in your life last year, maybe we can start start with that, just kind of reflecting on what we noticed, what comes to mind for you. Uh, let me think. I would say, given what's going on in the world, the biggest thing for me is to learn to live with uncertainty. Wow. That was, that's funny. That's exactly, I mean, literally when you, because mm-hmm. I asked the question, of course, like my mind starts thinking about, well, what's that going to, what's my response going to be while you're formulating? And mm-hmm. that was exactly what was on my mind. So tell, tell me more about why you're saying uncertainty. Yeah, because um, I think nowadays, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, all the years, uh, you know, all these previous of my life, I feel things are uh, happening all the time. Uh, certain things are, f- are falling apart. They're just conflicts. So I'm trying to kind of navigate and ask myself a question. Um, within this environment, uh, you know what what is the best way to cope with it and to navigate well uh, i mean again just it's like it's yeah like you're like you're inside my head thinking the same things that i am okay so uh would you like to kind of respond to it or would you like me to kind of no, keep going keep right going up? well you know like you know we've been studying Tao for a long time so it seems Tao is both, there's a natural order to it, you know, especially the returning, the, the recurring of things. Mm-hmm. And also the paradoxical, uh, you know, uh, the complementary uh, opposing mm-hmm. of things. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are the patterns or the natural patterns or what I call the natural order. But also at the same time, 
DAO is not, you know, stagnant or fixed or absolute. Mm -hmm. It's always, you know, emerging dynamic. So I guess, you know, I see that um, what's in, happening in the world, you know, I just said, okay, everything seems, feels chaotic. But, mm -hmm. but interestingly, when you watch it, when you look at, uh, close to it, you, you, you closely, you're just observing, you feel there's kind of an, an underlying natural pattern somewhere, you know, uh, yeah. behind all these appearances. So that's yeah, it's very not chaos to the extreme. It's chaotic, but it's not chaos, pure chaos. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's some, some, something in there. There's some order or some kind of driving force it's not you know ne not necessarily in a religious term like a, a right. god or like a you know mm -hmm. orchestrating everything mm -hmm. but there is a pattern so that that kind of understanding leads me to think you know maybe you know i'm part of that dao you know i'm in the mm -hmm. dao now mm -hmm. outside living outside the dao maybe my life uh the best way to um, you know, the best way to approach my life is to have both that, you know, dynamic nature, but also with some kind of underlying pattern. By that, I mean, mm -hmm. I feel sometimes, psychologically speaking, the more the chaotic the world is, the more I need to think about how I can order uh, my own life. Mm -hmm. uh, in the most controllable area. You know, I, mm -hmm. I do not believe everything is like around me, right? They're, around me is totally out of control. I think it meets my psychological need to structure my day, to plan out my day, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes to even, you know, to uh, watch the rhythm of my breathing, you know, as little as that. So that is the part where I think that kind of order or self mm -hmm. of facilitated or self-orchestrated order is very necessary. You know, I don't believe that, you know, we say, oh, we can't do anything. We can't do, we, we can't do anything since the world is falling apart. So, um, so that is part of that. How do you, how do you, how do you, um, how do you create order, um, mm. In, in, in our world, in our inner world and in the immediate outer world. Um, and, and, and then the other part is to not to be fixated on or insist on, you know, how the world should be. Just watch it. Just watch the coming and going of everything. The politicians or the events uh, just in that kind of you know, ebbs and flow, you actually can have a better understanding of Tao, but not to try to um, try to say, oh, I think this is what, you know, what things should be or something mm -hmm. and argue with other people. That's pretty much the, the things that aren't from the top of my, my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's a whole lot of wisdom in 
that that I was talking with some a colleague of mine about roles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know there there is no role there there are no roles role every role that exists is mm-hmm. created by an opinion of a person or an organization or institution but mm-hmm. every written role is just made up it's just mm-hmm. it, and and so but when we think about well why I take the time to create roles, why take the time to write these things down or make these agreements? And, mm, mm. and the idea is, is that there's some wisdom encoded in those roles. And, and so ultimately, it's still the application of wisdom that we're, we're looking for if we're just following roles without thinking about well, what's the wisdom of this role, reflecting upon extracting why that role exists, why it might be necessary, we're just being robotic, and that's definitely not aligned with with Dow. And and then obviously, if we reflect on a role and can't see any wisdom in it, then maybe we shouldn't follow that. Role. That's a great point. I find that a lot of people seem to dwell, dwell upon the forms of certain, I mean, meaning the rules. Like, mm-hmm. as you said, the rules reflect, you know, maybe the natural order, what do you mm-hmm. call it, uh, you know, wisdom. Mm-hmm. But it seems that people are kind of quibbling with, oh, you know, the, the exactness of those yeah. rules. Yeah, I mean, just like the uh, obvious one, speed limits. Well, mm-hmm. speed limits were put in place because the wisdom was, oh, we people early saw if you speed and go too fast, you're either going to crash your car and kill yourself or someone else. So that's the wisdom uh, uh, of that. Going to your point about quibbling, it's like, well, sh- well, should should the speed limit be fifty five or 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 sixty or fifty seven or should I go five over the limit or, I mean, kind of getting caught up in that quibbling. Yeah, it's like, well, let's focus on driving safely. I mean, really, what we're talking about is there's wisdom, and if we're all driving the same speed and driving at a speed where based upon the conditions and the shape and contour of the road and how much visibility there is. That's the speed limit. That's the speed limit that we're trying to have and, and execute. And, and I think, you know, then we can apply that in our own lives. I mean, I think per perfectionists can get caught up in that quibbling over the roles to the, the point that it's not even about, wisdom anymore. It's about like something that you brought up earlier, which is trying to control the uncontrollable. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's a great point. That that uh, reminds me of uh, kind of the interesting uh, uh, dynamics between, you know, Taoism and uh, Confucianism. You know, mm. we, by studying Tao Te Ching, we all know that 
you know, one of the three uh, virtues, uh, three treasures, one of them is compassion. Mm-hmm. When you study Confucianism, you get a similar concept. It's called Ren. Uh, people mm-hmm. uh, translate it in different ways, benevolence or, you know, a loving, uh, no, a loving kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of that is similar to the essence of it is compassion. But I think the the interesting, uh, I think, debate between the two schools of thought, you know, I think is to some extent it's around the spirit of things and all these the forms of things. You know, Confucianism mm-hmm. is very, you know, you know, is very at least the later the more I, I don't I do not think that Confucius himself was very kind of rigid about all those rules. You know, mm-hmm. those rules that re- reflect uh, reflect. Uh, um, benevolence or compassion, I think he just feel like natu- there's a natural way of, you know, like, let's say, starting with the parents, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. There's that love, that, you know, that compassion there. You know, he, he was just like, you know, uh, teaching from there, from that natural observation. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, as the schools of thought kind of evolves, different people jumped in and say, oh, I should, you know, we should put these rules, right, start to dictate, you know, what are exactly the behaviors. I think that's where problems seem to occur because, you know, to a Taoist mind, you know, all this is very contriving and a lot of that contriving, uh, you know, kind of a very, you know, those kind of regiments, you know, really lead to the, to the loss of Tao spirit. Yeah, and sometimes to even to hypo- a lot of hypocrisies. Exactly, because we're we're not robots, and it, it it I someday maybe I'll know exactly which chapters I'm I'm mm-hmm. referencing, but there's one one chapter in particular in Tao Te Ching where it talks about you know at the highest level there's there's Tao when yeah. when Tao is lost there's virtues when virtues are lost there there's rules yeah and and that's really the essence of what Lao is saying there is that rules show up in that rigid way when people have forgotten Tao and harmony and it's a way of just trying to control the uncontrollable but then it sucks all the air out of everything it takes the life and the spirit out of everything Exactly. Sometimes I was wondering what he was, you know, yeah, I, I remember that, uh, that chapter. Sometimes I want, wonder whether he was really like describing something that happens in time or in history. Because, you know, sometimes I, I know certain things do start to lose their spirits, the, the, the spirit of it. For example, in this country, democracy i mean when you look at the, the the old classic documents from the founding fathers you see there's like lively understanding and then the talk and exploration about what democracy is all about i mean especially the deeper part of it the a lot of the the big whys people at that time are just like 
trying to wrap their minds around. But mm-hmm. nowadays, it seems like everything debate is becoming so technical and so, you know, ruby. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think it, it, exactly. And so because and, and you're helping me sort out something because it's it's like I'm of two minds on, um, you know, in, in our culture in the U.S., the there's obviously a huge push for social justice, which is, mm-hmm. is great and wonderful. That's exactly what we should be doing in society. Mm-hmm. And as a therapist, it's something that I care about a lot. And one of the things that we're trying to do is show how people who haven't been in the dominant culture have been oppressed by the dominant culture who mm-hmm. they, they haven't had the same opportunities. They haven't been respected. Mm-hmm. And, and that to me, that's the Taoist spirit of, mm-hmm. of that and, mm-hmm. and trying to cultivate that. And in, in some ways you could just distill it down to re- respecting other people and, and being aware of their, their situation in society. Yep. Yeah. That's the essence of it. Yep. That's the essence of it. But then you, you hear the, you hear people just come up with stuff then that I guess their hearts are in the right place, but they, they work against the actual effort of social justice so much when they, they start, you read things like about like the rules about like, you know, how white people should go see like the Black Panther movie or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like and they'll tell you like 20 things that you should and shouldn't do. And um, the, you know, rules around language and mm-hmm, and, speaking mm-hmm. and and all these things. And it's like that's the part then that turns people off and where people who want to attack those efforts they create so many easy targets because they say, look at these people. They, they don't actually want social justice. They just want to control you and be the boss of you. And the thing is with those particular people, I think they're right. I think the people who talk that way, they are just kind, kind of another form of, of control freaks or, or, or bullies. And it works against the actual spirit of social justice and that's unfortunate. That is very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very, another, I think, good example of showing the kind of the decay of this, let's call it Taoist spirits. Um, another thing, you know, recently I, 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 you know, I listened a lot and uh, read a lot is about you know, Nietzsche's criticisms, criticism of the, you know, Christian culture. Mm. Uh, I think, you know, tracing back to, I mean, to Jesus, mm-hmm. I mean, originally Jesus, part of, you know, that divine quality is humility, right? He was mm. born in the manger and, you know, he preached that, you know, we need to be humble. But that humility itself I think when the Christendom was built, start to become something else. 
that mm. to Nietzsche is the weakening of the the human species, uh, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. uh, it's not like I don't think it's the Nietzsche who you know who uh, who criticized like you know that original message of humility. I think it's the how that humility, just like what you said, the social justice morphed into something that we are not embracing life anymore. You know, like yeah, humility right. become a dogma, you know, like, oh, let's just all that fake humility. Oh, yeah. you know, it's it turning to a, you know, a, 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 manipu a manipulation mechanism yes. or virtue signaling. Isn't yes. that similar to what we are experiencing today? A lot of people uh, out there, like they're in the name of something, you know, something yeah. originally good, but it turned to something's really sour and, <laughs> and bitter and eager driven. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think that's exactly what's going on in, in the world. And, and we can see because of Lao Tzu and, and, and even like you're talking about Jesus, the same thing, which is that there's a spirit to life mm -hmm. and all of these people are trying to help us cultivate our, our spirits. And, and there are ways of doing that. And too often, once those people's words get codified and, and organizations and groups of people gather around that sort of thing, inevitably it's the same fall from grace that happens over and over again. People lose the spirit and, resort to dictatorship, authoritarianism, vain, ego-driven, loss of spirit. And I think that's, that is just, that's the ongoing struggle, you know, even looking into 2023. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that in, in the context of what we've been talking about. I think it's really interesting to think ahead about the 2023 uh, in this emerging environment. You know what, as individuals, right? We we can we can do, and you know how we think about these things. Yeah. So you know, you talked about. I mean that that kind of you're kind of raising the the, the question. What do you think that you're wanting to do in that way starting today? I think the, as we just talked about it, I, you know, I just realized that um, the chaotic world we're, we're living in, part of it is making us, you know, uncomfortable, right? You know, sometimes anxious. Part of it, I would also think that maybe you know this kind of falling apart this chaotic situation will free up more spirits mm. in some way because all these spirits you know were locked or um or uh repressed or somehow in that big machine right now everything mm -hmm. is shaking you know i was wondering whether these spirits start to come out again, you know, mm. in, in, a, in a very um, uh, unexpected way, new ways. 
So isn't that good? Maybe we're experiencing a period of time which is simultaneously chaotic, but at the same time very liberating. It could be. I mean, the, that certainly happened in the past. I mean, if if you think of, and and maybe that's something I'll I'll try to do this year is is study those periods more in depth to try to understand those conditions. But there's the common phrase "golden age" that we know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and. And there's lots of golden ages. We always talk about golden ages of various civilizations. Mm-hmm. And I think the opportunity in 2023 and, and going forward is that in the past, we've always talked about civilizations being like, you know, Chinese civilization, mm-hmm. British civilization, Greek civilization, etc. But it really does feel like now there really is a global civilization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and even though obviously there's huge differences among nations and, and people, it's a global monoculture economically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what if we could move into that golden age? Yeah. That's a you know wonderful, I think a you know reimagining of the world as we know it. I think the something seems to be happening, uh, despite all the 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 all the struggles and the, all these noises. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, and and I don't know what it would take for that golden age to. Mm-hmm. arise in a in a technical way you know i used to be a software engineer and <laughs> yeah i was looking at photos from each year we we go back and look at i do a photo album each year of the highlights of the year with my girlfriend and mm-hmm. done it every year and going back to those very first years when, you know, I was in the, the peak of my software career and what I looked like. And, um, you know, I can, I can see that once I became a therapist, my whole appearance changed. Mm. Like I did, I didn't just get older, hairier and, and flabbier, like my whole expression changed on, my face. And I don't know, you know, exactly, you know, I couldn't trace it decisively, but I do know I went from being a technician to being someone much more interested in humanity and the spirit of things rather than, you know, those technical concerns. And I don't know how you do that in in a global economic monoculture, but you know somehow again going back to these concerns of social justice, it it, it has to somehow become a part of the economic system in a global way where you know 
just like it's it, it i mean and people are going to say you sound like a communist or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that people shouldn't be able to have private property because i think people should mm-hmm. but but there's something just fundamentally i think just you can see that it it's not right that so few people have hoarded so much when you know there's eight billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. If if we have the logistics to ship pretty much anything in the world to mainly Americans doorsteps in a day or two, and if we have that kind of technical capacity and the technical capacity to put a rover on Mars and and that, you're telling me that we don't have if we put our minds to it we don't have a way to create more equality and fairness in the economic system, not just in America, but around the world. So technical to you, to you as a former technician or technically mm-hmm. oriented person, um, you think technical challenge, I mean, technical, technically, it's it's like feasible for us to do a lot of things. I would I would think so, yeah. Okay. If we had the will and the spirit to do it. Right, right, right. So what stands in the way? You know, what what seems to be standing in the way to you? What what's the um what it, it that you know, maybe there are many factors, but do you see a a major thing, a factor that kind of really holds us back? Ultimately, fear. I mean, I think that's the other thing that spiritual leaders around the world throughout time have also repeatedly said. It's it's fear. It's it's the fear of losing control. It's the fear of not having power, and and it's the fear of losing. You know, it's it's like smogs vast treasure that he protects with the this i'm referencing the hobbit the hobbit now um from J.R. tolkien and yeah. you know the dragon that guarded the mountain of treasure and and it's the same thing it's this fear that you know if if i don't control and have everything that i'm going to you know, be destroyed. And and the reality is it's like, yeah, you're going to be destroyed. And even if you do hoard all of that, but it comes back to this fear of death, fear of oblivion. Yeah. Fear of the fear of the unknown. And, you know, this old way of running the show has been in place for a long time. And, you know, there's all these organizations, World Economic Forum, IMF, World Bank, and that, and it's like, supposedly they're there to to help make these changes globally that we're talking about. But right, when you look at what happens, it's just the same kind of corruption and the same type of performance that we've seen in, in the past. And, you know, I don't know how much that can be truly changed, but... I I do know that it's probably worth trying some new things. When you say worth trying, let's say 
uh, it seems like the the fear is the key word. Like a fear is instinctual, it's primal, right? It's like primordial, like it's from with us from the very beginning as species, uh, and therefore we can reasonably maybe conclude that it's always going to be with us, like part of our nature. Or do you mm. think that maybe as a part of the evolution, we can transcend that fear or at least look at that fear more consciously? Shall we say that, right? We, we, cannot, yeah. we cannot get rid of it because unless like we become a non-animal species, right? Yeah. So, right. so in, in some way, I feel like the fear it's the amplified fear. You know, I, I learned from that book you highly recommended to me from the Ernest uh, Becker. He said something yeah. which is quite interesting that all the people living on Earth now, because of evolution, they are the, the descendants of the people who used to worry most among themselves. I think yeah. there's a key point there because yeah. those people who took maybe danger, Mm -hmm. more light or maybe yeah. more too i don't know because i i always wonder you know there's a certain thought you know in psychology there's the mm -hmm. positive psychology right optimism yeah. yeah um i haven't you know i haven't formed a you know a view on my own i think mm -hmm. at this moment how these things intermingle with each other. Maybe it's more like a, a Taoist way of seeing things, like the fear and mm -hmm. the non-fear, right? The, uh, the opposite, yep. you know, as a part of life, you know, we cannot, you know, we cannot be like the positive uh, psychologists and say, no, oh, that's too, you know, too everything simple. is so shiny, right? Everything yeah, is. It, yeah, that's that's not r realistic. And, and no, I, I, I think that, Yes, you you have to cultivate hope and people, but mm -hmm. you know to just try to force people to be some kind of like robotic. Everything is is great and wonderful, like that, a robotic, not, hopeful, <laughs> robotic. That's not, that's not humane because people have real problems and people have real worries and and people yeah. are going through real tragedies each day in their lives. People are dying yeah. and people are sick. So that that's not humane to to try to put those expectations on people but going back to what you're saying you know trying things that aren't just right now everything that we're doing is is just feeding the fear which is that you know money is the 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 cure for everything and you look at our educational system and I think this is the thing that would fundamentally have to change. Educational systems are, are all about training people, kids, to, to fit into the economic system. They're, they're training them to be technicians. They're teaching them to be good employees. They're teaching them, you know, some people, they even en encourage entrepreneurship and that sort of thing, because obviously the economic system needs entrepreneurs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but what we're not teaching kids is psychology, 
we're we're not teaching them psychological well-being and probably one of the biggest reasons why we're not doing that is that we know now from psychology there's a biopsychosocial conceptualization of of well-being and what do you call the, it biosocial bi- yeah biopsychosocial so the bio that is your genetics yeah the the psycho part that's your your psychological inner states and and that's um what we target a lot in psychotherapy but then there's the social piece and really what that's saying is the environment yes and yeah. and it's the interplay of those things that determines well-being and the reason why we don't teach a lot of psychology in education is because that social piece that's what's making so many people mentally ill that's what's causing so many of the mental health problems and so why would the educational system that's teaching people how to contribute to a sick environment why would they also teach them at the same time hey we're training you how to participate in this environment that's going to make you mentally ill well you know that that's a very good point um you know i over the years i encounter educators you know from you know elementary school and high school and colleges um i feel i can't say all of them but a lot of them are really kind of idealistic in the sense that they want to uh you know they they want the their students to be more independent thinkers and free spirited mm-hmm. however once these students are coming out of this in academy right yeah they also have to cope with the real bigger social environment mm-hmm. uh so that's one thing so you have to mm-hmm. kind of there's a saying you have to you know uh survive in the real world okay yep exactly uh, that's part of it and uh, those educators themselves are more and more become less idealistic because they need the funding and resources to yep. continue their uh you know intellectual enterprise you know yep. whether it's harvard or princeton you see more and more scholars in the past who could like the doctors right the doctors has more autonomy now they becoming mm-hmm. more robotic because they are con- yeah. you know, they are they are controlled by you know managed care organizations those bigger mm-hmm. entities so i feel like that force you know whatever is there in a, in yeah. that social space is like a big clouds that overshadow everything yeah it's like the eye of sauron and lord of the rings and and what the eye of sauron is in our mm. modern world is the technocrats the the insurance companies and their lawyers that's that's whose world we live in and it's not i mean going back to we live in a world of rules not based upon the wisdom of humanity and the human spirit but based upon protecting the wealth of those who have it 
Yeah, yeah. And also people find justification for those rules in the name of efficiency. Because people can argue that, oh, we need those rules. If everybody is the same, then yeah. how can we make things really big? How can we yeah. scale, right? Yeah. How can we scale? So, you know, that kind of inner logic, like say, oh, you know, we have to make rules. But how do we make rules? We have to, you know, standardize, right? Yep. Look at, <laughs> so standardize that, the human spirit. Yeah. 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 So that gives certain people a, you know, a reason or an excuse to do those kind of things. Yeah. And then the, the people who can't do that, the people who they just don't think that way, that their spirits can't be shaped and molded to fit into that. A lot of those people end up homeless. A lot of those people end up resorting to drugs because like it's a way to escape the system. A lot of those people have, nervous breakdowns they they have psychotic breaks because so often that is what we call mentally ill the the people who can't conform and adapt to the system that very often makes people mentally ill i think so i i only see you know two paths one path is these free-spirited people, they somehow figured a way to compromise with the system. So yeah. they become a, you know, they, they are the ones who who are um, who are the wolves that wear the the, the sheep the sheep uh, clothing. Right. Exactly. You know, you, yeah. you otherwise you cannot get the funding. Let's say you know right. some of the pioneers or entrepreneurs. I think they, in that process, in order to get the, uh, you know, the capital, they have to even, I would say, uh, make their uh, their PPT, their PowerPoint, fitting yeah. to the thinking pattern of the venture capitalist in yeah. order to tell their stories. So you mm -hmm. can see how much they do to kind of pay the price in order to pursue that spirit. If they are lucky, Yep. They'll do something great, but a lot of them, you know, they are probably, I would imagine they're strangled by the whole system. So that's the one yeah. type of people. The other type is the people you are thinking that yep. they refuse to compromise their own spirit, and, but mm -hmm. they, they, they couldn't do anything. So they become crazy. Yeah. Or, or, or poets or starving artists or, Suffering artist, yeah, starving artist, yeah. yeah. And that's been the history of civilization. It's all, it's, it, and and again, I think this is just going back to to Lao Tzu and Taoism. Is mm -hmm. Lao Tzu could see that that was that was inevitable. That was going to be the result. That in his time, he could see as people began began conforming more to civilization. Mm -hmm. Dow was lost. It was making people sick. And he could see that that was what was going to happen. And, and it has been that way since civilization began. And, and unfortunately, 
those people who we mm-hmm. emerged from, those people, you know, the the people from two hundred thousand years ago when there was no writing, all of their wisdom has been lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when there was just oral traditions, when there was just modeling what the other people in the tribe did, that must have been such a wonderful way of being aligned with Tao, of living in Tao, where we didn't have narcissists that our society has created about all this vain celebrity worship and wealth worship, mm-hmm. where people were were had to be just constantly observing the environment. And it wasn't about me, me, me. It was about us, 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 and how every single person in the tribe was important because we needed everyone to navigate that constantly changing environment that we were situated in. Can you imagine how those people communicated with each other emotionally and with singing and with music and dance and what what living that way must have been like that we it's just been lost well let me ask you a question then if that you know worked for them why didn't it stop why you know why these rituals Mm -hmm. and you know way of living didn't evolve but something else replaces. Well, I think a lot of um, what I don't forget the saying in Chinese, but it's something like, you mm-hmm. know, um, your possessions eventually possess you. If if you live in a robot world, you're going to have a robot heart. And uh, I think of oh just, yeah, Qixing and Qixie, yeah, 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 from Taoism, yeah, yeah. And and so I think that that's ultimately what happened. It's like we we started going down this path of um, hoarding and greed, and so and turning that into a science, and mm-hmm. and it just it, it's enslaved everyone. And now we're kind of the whole world's kind of humankind is is stuck within it, and there's no real good way out, even though we can see it's destroying our environment that we need to survive. And we can see like, there's not enough resources to support the whole world being consumers, which is just going to create more conflict and war. And I just think that that path that we turned down towards civilization, just like Lao Tzu said, we were meant to live much smaller and simpler. We were meant to live in, you know, 50 to 100 people where, yeah, there was other tribes in the area, but everyone kind of had their territory, just like cats, neighborhood cats. Mm-hmm. So in the grand scheme things, do you think this, you know, can be like a cyclical or kind of a, historical historical in the sense that you know it's more linear like we are marching towards something you know Mm -hmm. things start you know with the simpler and bigger into something larger and more complex 
right? You know, I see people, certain people have a view of that of history, but it could be cyclical in the sense that, you know, maybe, you know, we human beings satisfy our need or for that kind of fantasy to be technological advanced and powerful, and now we see the emptiness of it, then, you know, we're going back just like a, like an individual, the uh, more elderly people, they will look back on their youthful years and say, oh, you know, those are the, uh, you know, exciting years. Well, when they were younger, they will say, oh, you know, they have all these fantasies about the world. But now as they get older, they start to see the true, true reality of things and then they want to live a simpler life. I was wondering whether, you know, using that metaphor, you know, human beings uh, as a collective, uh, you know, entity, um, they start, you know, every individual or more and more individual start to realize uh, all what we've been pursuing, you know, on a technological agenda or even social agenda, it just, uh, you know, you know, chase of the wind. Well, what would you want? Um, I, I'm conflicted about that, to tell you the truth. Part of me want to things to be simpler because I've seen more and more about life and I, you know, I have better discernment of you know, what is truer to me and what is more real, what is just like a, you know, a useful uh, fantasy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that part of me and say, you know, and also I think giving the limited energy, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, that's with, you know, age. Um, but also I'm, you know, looking for new experience. Like when I think about 2023, you know, I, you know, read two, uh, two passages. One is actually from the Bible, from Psalm 90, you know, is from Moses' prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, you know, most notable uh, passage is, you know, God teach us how to number our years and give us a heart of wisdom. Okay, mm -hmm. so that that is always a reminder within the passage of time, you know, how we account for all these, you know, passing years. But then, you know, it didn't give an answer. Um, you know, how do you, uh, how do you cultivate that heart of wisdom? Yeah. So I think the um, Einstein actually have another saying, you know, which is like, learn from the past, or learn from yesterday, live for today, and hope for the future mm -hmm. and never stop asking questions. So mm -hmm. I thought, oh, you know, that passage seemed to provide some more, you know, uh, more actionable, you know, mm -hmm. guidance in terms of how that wisdom comes about. Uh, you know, because I can see that, you know, over the years I've used, I, you know, I've de de developed a, some kind of a habits of mind, like say, mm -hmm. You know, whether it's yesterday or maybe a year ago or just, you know, I, I tend to be like 
more reflective and ask myself, okay, so how do you learn from yesterday? Okay, you learn by asking yourself what really went well. You know, I'm sure you know. Uh, you know, that's one aspect of it. And 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 then I ask myself, okay, when I look at yesterday or when I let, look at that thing I did, whatever it is, you know, how how can I you know how can I do better? So that's the really the learning piece of yesterday. The value of yesterday is probably the, I mean, yesterday is gone, but the, the value of it is the realization and the learning piece of it. Hmm. Um, live for today yep. is more like a now. I think even at this moment, uh, I think I'm living at two levels. One is the really the temporal, the experiential level maybe a phenomenal level, like, you know, how to make things work, right? What to do, you know, what are the key steps? Because mm -hmm. in time and space, you can never escape. You cannot never say, oh, here's the idea. And that, that happens in the real time and space. It's always about process and steps. So I have to figure out, okay, so what are the steps? But that's, you know, I think most of the people are, you know, kind of, living you know they they, they just uh, the nitty-gritty of details but i think there's as we learn you know like a study dao uh i think there's another dimension which is the bigger why you know why am i doing this so mm -hmm. why i'm doing this thing i need to sometimes jump to another dimension and say and watch myself and say oh you know all these you know step one step two step three uh, but you know, how do you make sense of all these things? What is the thing behind it? So that's another, uh, I think by combining those two things, I think I pretty much, I can live for today, right? While I'm doing anything, you know, walking around a lake or reading a book, if I engage my thought in those things, I can tell that I'm fully immersed in it. Uh, and the third thing about tomorrow, which is coming back to your original question, um, a lot of things are happening, uh, let's say, in the world and in China, where my still a lot of my parents, uh, you know, families are, friends are, um, doesn't seem to make people feel hopeful because I hear a lot of the complaints about, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic still, you know, raging there. Uh, you know, anything that, that I, I think people are just, are not hopeful. Yeah. So where do I find a reason for hope? Um, you know, I, maybe I do not post, place that hope on a social entity, like a government or a savior or anything. Mm -hmm. I think the best hope source for hope for me is my own curiosity and that spirit of exploration because mm -hmm. you know according to Laozi or the Taoists uh, this world we're experiencing is just you know a narrative built mm -hmm. upon a narrative there can yeah. there can be millions of other narratives Mm -hmm. So out of that curiosity and spirit of exploration, in my small way, I want to um, I want to experiment 
you know, even in the small space I have in this world, what other possibilities are there and push that as much as possible. That's the mm-hmm. source of my hope. Well, I think that's a wonderfully put way of of looking at going into the new year that it can be reflective and the importance of reflecting each day on or as often as we can on how we're doing things, which is what we can control, fostering our curiosity and and fostering our own hope, not by chasing after empty things, but mm-hmm. chasing after or rather than chasing after changing the narrative that if our old narratives aren't working and our old narratives are killing our spirit, we have to use our own abilities to reflect and create, to create a new narrative. So I I hope that everyone who's listening today can take some time today to reflect and think about how can I change the narrative? How can I change the old unworking narrative so that I feel like there's space for my spirit to grow a little more? this year. I totally agree. Um, You know, maybe adding one to your point of, Mm -hmm. you know, changing the narrative. I think the key there is to become radically honest Mm. with ourselves. Because I see a lot of people that for a lot of people, one thing that prevent them to change their narratives is that fear yeah. because they fear that once that narrative is changed, uh, for example, like again, using the China, for example, let's say your job is connected with being part of that system, right? Yeah. Either in the government or uh, part of the society. I think people know, you know, what they want, what they desire truly, but sometimes they are afraid of to voicing, uh, voicing that. They will keep the old narrative going because they are fear once they change their narratives, their lifeline is cut from. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's, that's the fear again. I'm so afraid, even though I feel like crap and even though I feel spiritually destroyed, if I change the narrative, I will lose my economic lifeline. And so I stay hitched to that economic lifeline, even though it's not satisfying. Exactly. I think the hope really implies both courage and discernment. Um, you know, to hope daringly, you have to have certain amount of courage that mm-hmm helps you uh, deal with that fear, mm-hmm. but at also you have to smart about it in the sense that you don't get yourself mm-hmm. killed, just like yeah. the old wilderness. So that, so that's for, I like these concepts that we're, we're coming up with. So there's 
reflection, courage, honesty, yeah, and discernment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are the things that, you know, I'm hoping that with our uh, studying together and with our listeners, we can explore more in this new year ahead. Well, thanks, David. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to meet. And I feel like even though we didn't have a plan to even record today, I, I feel like we mission accomplished. Great, great. Okay, have a great one. Ah, okay. So <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a interesting. Yeah, I, I find, yeah, it's. It, I mean, whether we record it or not record it, I think I, you know, I can see that our conversation uh, will go somewhere. And since we're recording it, so we're more conscious about. Oh, you know, somebody else need to. It's it's different from you, you and I kind of one on one like chatting with with each other. Um, yeah. But I, it, it's, I think it's good enough that we also, we don't let that listeners like overshadow my thinking. So I feel like, yeah. you know, I have a pretty good free exchange <laughs> of ideas with you. Yeah. It's, it's that interesting tension between you're trying to be thoughtful because people are listening and you don't want to waste their time. But if you start over censoring again, going back to, you lose the spirit. Yeah, again, you know, that's the fear factor, right? The fear, if appropriately, it does motivate you, but mm -hmm. it can paralyze you and stifle you and limit you uh, if that fear is go a little bit overboard, right? Is yeah. that the same thing with the, you know, the psychology of doing the podcast and the same thing as how we live in the world? So I think that that it's so subtle. I feel like it's so subtle. You know, I cannot imagine a person, you know, we talked about fearless. Okay, so how do you understand that fearless? Like you're getting rid of, you don't have fear anymore? What's the point of that? Have, yeah, huh? we need, yeah, what's the point of that? Like we, we, we need to get rid of excessive fear. Like we need... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as you said that, you know, I like the term you use, feeding the fear, because the moment you said it, I said, well, no wonder people know that fear is such a big psychological factor. So people know that's like a, almost like a hot button, right? Like a, like a switch. Mm -hmm. uh, they, anything they build around it to uh, exploit and feed that fear they can get something out of it. So that's why, because it's powerful. If it's not yep. powerful, I don't think people are using it. Right. I mean, that's how Hitler succeeded. I mean, that's how all of these demagogues succeed. They, they take what people are afraid of, irrational or, or otherwise, and they amplify it and feed it and hypnotize people in, into feeling like, hey, you know, this huge fear that you now have, which, by the way, I'm the one who turned up the volume inside of you to have it. I'm the one who can also protect you from that fear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
I wonder what Taoists will say about fear, because the fear, uh, I can't remember specific chapters or verses, mm. right, that specifically talked about it. But the, the more I think about it, the more I feel, what, what do you think? What do you think the Laozi will say about fear specifically? Uh, with, you know, just from the other ideas you can I- I- infer from, you know, his teachings. Yeah. So, I mean, just the first thing that popped in my head, well, I always just try to go back to the the simple lens of the three treasures and, you know, m- moderation that, you know, excessive fear is immoderate. You, sh- you should have a moderate amount of fear, but you shouldn't go too far with your fear. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's one thing. Mm-hmm. And then even the things around you know, the, the a thousand Li journey is a step to build a nine story temple. It's one brick at a time. A lot of times our fears are based upon some outcome happening or some, um, some big thing that can happen along the path. Well, well, what's in the next step? Like, can I take the next step? Because that's all I have to do. I don't have to bring forth this giant thing all all at once. I just need to set the next brick in place. Can I do that? Am I safe enough to take one more step? Am I safe enough to lay one more brick? If I am, well, keep laying bricks. Keep taking another step. Don't let the fear stop you from taking one more step. Don't let the fear stop you from doing whatever that next tiny action is toward whatever it is that you're trying to do. See, that that's a very interesting point because I've never seen, you know, that uh, line is quoted a, a thousand, you know, many, many times, right? Uh, yeah, it's probably the most famous Yeah, the most famous one. But I've never heard anybody interpreting that in the context of fear because I, mm-hmm. I think what you're describing actually leads me to um, – uh, to to uh, to to, to uh, remember uh, a little uh, cartoon picture I see that mm. a lot of times when something is not happening, right? We say, "Oh, that's so scary," because in our mind, you know, it's not the one step, one step. It's the overwhelming thing, right? It's like a dark cloud. Exactly. You know, that's scary. Okay, so you know that individual starts to take like small steps and actions. And then when he looked back, he said, oh, that's not too bad. That's not mm-hmm. too bad. So I, I think that is a very, very, that, you know, cartoon really like uh, captures the a very common experience because either before we do anything, like jump into the swimming pool or jump into the water, right? Mm-hmm. Or even in the middle of it, we never have a full picture because things are just becoming and unfolding, right? It's not like becoming and being. Being is like, you know, you're, you're above it, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're, there's a, but when you are in the becoming, it can go either direction. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where fear starts. But one technique is maybe to take that step, small step, to build 100%. the confidence, Go ahead. Go 
Yeah, to build build the the confidence. There, you're talking about that uh, that cartoon there. Um, it also made me think of a drawing that I had seen, and I'm I, I want to find. It. I just haven't been able to track it down because I think it's uh, very poignant. There's um the one that I'm thinking of. There's a guy sitting on a mm-hmm. bus, and the yeah. bus kind of split down the middle. Where on one side of the bus there's like all this light and sun and the guy is smiling and on the yeah. other side of the bus it's like dark and rainy and the person looks very frightened and the 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 quote bubble above both people's heads is i'm not the person i used to be anymore oh i see do you can yeah i i hope that you can find this but let me uh let me share with you the 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 one that i i i described uh i saw because i just happened to have it here um okay see if you can get it here it's like a little cartoonish picture yeah i sent it a text to you it'd be funny if we're thinking about the exact same one oh it's a different one it's a different one it's different but yeah Yep, exa- exactly. And so, yeah, it's it's the line at the beginning, all the thoughts is this is scary. But then after you've taken step, 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 you're like, oh, I can do this. I got this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think and yeah, go ahead. Well, and yeah, just and again, the parallel of, you know, if you keep stepping toward darkness one step at a time, you are going to end up in total darkness. If you keep stepping toward something lighter and brighter, yes, eventually you're going to be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not who I used to be in either direction. So choose carefully. Yeah. That's the kind of the discernment we're talking about. Right. Yeah. So it's not like, really like a blind reckless courage right the cur- it's it's the courage it's like a more of a uh i i wouldn't say calculated because then it takes away the uncertainty piece of it but it yeah. certainly it's not like your first impulse and then you say oh jump right, right. you still have, <laughs> you still have to look around and 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 purposefully decide What's your next move is? Mm-hmm. Well, my next move is to go get some lunch. Great, great. That's so wonderful. <laughs>